it never ceases to amaze me how many incredible people you meet out there. Our volunteers are amazing. We have ambassadors that volunteer with us, neurologists, contractors. I mean, it's like you go to a site and you don't know what these people have done in their past, but they have amazing skills. Hello, and welcome to Aging Matters, a program featuring aging-related topics for older adults and their families. I'm Cheryl Beversdorf, your host. Studies show that nearly 90% of older adults prefer to stay in their own homes and age in place as long as possible. To achieve that goal, home modifications and home repairs may be necessary for these residents to be safe and avoid injuries in their homes. Today, my guest is Patty Klein, Executive Director of Rebuilding Together. This program is located in Arlington, Fairfax, and Falsters, Virginia. She's going to explain how health and safety measures can be provided to older adults and discuss the difference between home repairs and modifications. She'll also talk about her organization, which is called Rebuilding Together and how, with the assistance of volunteers, this organization helps make older adult and low-income residents' homes healthy and safe. So welcome, Patty, and thank you for joining me today. Thank you, Cheryl. It's an honor to be here. Patty, you've seen a lot of folks that have certainly been beneficiaries of your services. So help us understand a little bit more about why health and safety for older adults in their homes is so important. Well, one of the first things you said is 90% of older adults want to remain in their homes as long as possible. Research shows that most American older adults spend about 90% of their time indoors, and about two-thirds of that is spent in their home. So if you think about you're moving about in your home, how is your home supporting your health and your safety? So homes directly impact all of that. They impact our well-being. So they can put us at risk of falls, particularly as we get older. Um, And as we get older, um, falls increase. Um, And so they are the leading cause of injury and injury-related death for adults 65 and plus. So why don't we try to find ways to prevent that or reduce the percentage of that happening? You know, there's risk of fires, uh, moisture problems, mold problems, asthma triggers, allergy triggers. Um, So those are different ways that the home can impact our well-being. And I mentioned in my introduction then the difference between modifications and repairs. So let's start with the last first. Typical kinds of home repairs that are usually needed to address these issues that you just were talking about. A lot of it can be aging in place um, modifications, and that's the home modifications. But the repairs can range like a lot of handyman type of repairs. So if you think that you may have a broken front stoop, you know, it may be rotting, or you may need to divert water away from the home, like your gutters are backed up or your downspouts and water is coming into your home. Another thing is things like um, dryer duct venting, which is a leading cause of house fires. If you don't properly vent 
your dryer outside with the right ducting that can cause problems because it went back up and things like that. Um, it can be anything from, you know, people call us because they have a leaky toilet or it runs all the time or they have minor electrical issues. Um, anything you can think of that might break down, deferred maintenance, a lot of people will call us for those items. You mentioned already, and I, and I did also in my intro, about uh, modifications. What what does that mean, and why might older adults need them? So home modifications are changes made to the home environment to accommodate for your changing needs, right? And then allowing you to move independently and safer in your own home uh, to reduce any risk of injury to yourself and or a caregiver. If you think of your daily living activities, what are those and how might they need to be modified? Here, where we are in uh, Fairfax and Arlington, a lot of the homes that we work on are older homes, and they were not built to age in place. You know, there's a lot of steps and things like that. And there's a lot of reasons to do home modifications. Um, you think like mobility issues, right? As you get older or maybe even a younger person sometimes might have more difficulty walking. You notice that you're shuffling when you walk uh, and you may, may need assistance of a cane or a walker or a wheelchair. You might have balance issues. You're not as steady on your feet anymore. And you might find that you're grabbing onto the wall as you walk. There's also strength issues. Uh, that you might have a harder time getting often on the couch or the out of bed, off the toilet, and then your vision. Like my mom had vision issues, right? She had depth perception issues. You can't see as easily in dim lights. So those are all different things that you're looking at. To that point then, Patty, how do you address those? What what, what would be a, examples of, of the home modifications? And I was also curious, because we're obviously going to talk more about your organization um, in, in a little bit, but is the process that an older adult already recognizes that they need some home modifications, or does someone, a representative from your organization, come in and say, oh, well, you need grab bars or whatever. So talk more about those examples and then how you determine, well, what does this person need? One of the biggest ones is grab bars in the bathroom, right? You can put them in your shower, in your tub to support yourself getting on and off the toilet. Um, I know a lot of people are like, oh, I don't want them. I don't need them yet. But I say, look, as a, as a woman, I like to have one because I could shave my legs because I could hold on to one. And I think you want to put them in before you need them. So grab bars, comfort height toilets. Um, I, I'm ashamed to say in my own house, my toilets are pretty low. So my dad, who's 99, when he comes, he's like, wow, <laughs> that's a difference. So, you know, the, you don't have as much strength getting on and off the toilet. So if it's higher, if you're not a petite person, um, it's better to have a higher toilet. Um, double railings on stairs going up and down. If you think about it, you may have a stronger or weaker side. So why not have railings on both sides of your stairway? 
And there can be things like wider steps as well. We'll often go into somebody's house and notice that the that their entrance or whatever, the stairs are teeny, their um, stoops are. So sometimes we do overbuild and make them wider to accommodate maybe a cane or a walker. Um, those are all sorts of modifications. Also, we will do accessibility things, which would be uh, wheelchair ramps, so either um, aluminum ramps or a wooden ramp for somebody that's in a wheelchair or maybe even a walker, and also stair lifts. Here in um, Northern Virginia, most of our full bathrooms and bedrooms are upstairs. We don't have a lot of single level homes here. So we put in stair lifts so a person can sit in that lift and go up. Um, prime example, we did that for a woman who had not been upstairs for six months. Um, before our workers were done doing the work in her home, she was upstairs taking a bath. She was so excited. She had not had a bath in, for a long, long time. So that was just terrific for her. So what's the process? Well, one, we talk about when we advertise or we recruit people that may need assistance about aging in place. That's a lot of the stuff in our literature. But what we want to do is we want to learn about you. The first thing I want to do when I meet you and I go to your home is I want to say, hey, Cheryl, what's going on? Do you use assistance? You know, do you use a walker? Do you use a cane? Do you have mobility issues? Do you have vision issues? What is it? Why did you call us? And I want to learn about you. I want to learn about your daily activities. And then our um, trained volunteers or staff will go into the different parts of the home. And most of the times the person walks around with us and will say, let us see you get on and off the toilet. So we see where they're grabbing. If they're grabbing for the shower door, that's a no-no because that, that is not meant to, to um, handle our, our body weight. So we'll look at how people interact and ask them. And, you know, we've been doing this for a long time. Uh, we do an assessment from the top to the bottom of the house, but we're really looking at how people interact in their home. Let's talk about rebuilding together in one moment, but I was just wondering if you could also let our listeners know, are home modifications ever covered by Medicare or any other kind of insurance? Yeah, um, I think it really depends on what Medicare plan you have. I think in most cases, no. I think for Medicare Advantage, some plans may cover certain home safety equipment for people with chronic conditions, but it, it varies. And as you know, there are all sorts of different plans. The original Medicare plan typically won't pay for home safety equipment or modifications, but I think Medicare B covers only durable medical equipment that's uh, considered medically necessary and prescribed by the doctor. So it varies. It just varies and you, and you have to ask. But the one thing that I would say is if you or somebody that, like my husband's going in for knee surgery in a couple of weeks. And so it is good if I could get an occupational therapist to come to my home if it's covered by your plan. 
or if you could ask your doctor to, then she or he could come to your house and look at your house to see what you might need. Occupational therapists understand how you uh, interact with your home. But I would always say, have somebody who knows what they're doing to install a grab bar and stuff. You never want to use those suction cup grab bars. You don't want to just use plain old screws. There are certain ways to install the stuff. And, and it's good to figure out if there's somebody that you can find that can do that for you. Which is why rebuilding together is so important as well. So we want to hear about your organization. Uh, when did it start? What is its mission and vision? Sure. So um, we are one of 120 affiliates across the nation called Rebuilding Together. And each one of us has a shared mission, which is repairing homes, revitalizing communities, and rebuilding lives. Uh, we each have a geographic focus. So um, ours is Arlington and Fairfax and Falls Church. There are other ones in Montgomery County, Maryland, D.C., out in California, um, all over the place. And, and in fact, if anybody is interested in finding out if there is an affiliate, they could go to our national website, which is rebuildingtogether.org and look under find an affiliate. And I would say scroll down and look at it by state. Don't type in the your zip code. It gets It's not as useful that way, but scroll down and look. Um, so as I said, each one of us does things a little differently. With our affiliate, what we do is we want to make um, critical home repairs and accessibility modifications. And we typically use a lot of volunteers and sometimes skilled contractors to do our work. But, you know, the main goal is to keep people in their homes. Um, other affiliates across the nation do different things. Some of them down in Florida or in, the, in like Louisiana may do hurricane relief or something like that. Some of them in Maybe an urban area might do um, a neighborhood revitalization. With our affiliate, we accept applications throughout both counties, and we do a lot of stuff with aging in place. Who qualifies? Uh, who are the individuals that you serve? Do they, do they have to have certain income levels or be a certain age? Or what kinds of, uh, what are you looking for? Or who could apply? So for our affiliate, it it's and I'm it's not gonna mean anything to anybody, but it's eighty percent of the area medium income, gross income. So that is um just for example, in our area alone, um, for one person in the household, it's um the gross income before anything is taken out, it's sixty-six thousand six hundred dollars. And it increases for each additional person in the household between seven and nine thousand dollars. But it, it's different in all locations um, because we have different income levels and stuff. The majority of the people that we serve are older adults. I think last year, about eighty-seven percent of all households we served had somebody who was sixty-five and plus. We serve homeowners and um, they must own and live in the home to be repaired. I would say that um, 
67% last year identified at least one person with a disability. And I think the reason that happens that most of the people we serve are older adults is because most people, and as you know, in this area, um, housing is incredibly expensive. So most people that can afford a home that are on a lower income have had to be in their homes for a long time. So that's why we get a lot of older adults. And most of those people live in homes that are over 40 years old. So there's probably more deferred maintenance there. You know, as we get older, as our houses get older, we all need more maintenance. (laughs) Well said. And so if somebody is listening right now and go, wow, this is exactly what I need, um, whether it be in the DMV area or elsewhere, what would be the process? Do they call you up? Does somebody answer the phone? Do they fill out something? What do they need to do? The simple answer is anybody could contact us. It may be uh, we get calls from caseworkers, from um, older adults division and the uh, government agencies. We get calls from occupational therapists. We get calls from people that do in-home health care or, you know, go in to help somebody in their home. We get calls from family members and friends, but we also get calls from individuals who are looking for assistance, and they may see information in older adult magazines. They may have researched it through websites. They may have gone to a workshop or something and learned about us. So for most people, what they will do is either call us at 703-528-1999, go to our website, which is rebuildingtogether-a is in Apple, f is in Frank, f is in Frank.org, and um, ask for a, um, if they call us up, just ask for an application. Or if they go to our website, they can download it and print it and um, fill it out. So in order to qualify, again, people must own their home. They must be at that income cap. They complete the application and mail it in with documentation showing what their household income is. And so you send that in to us, and then we will look at all that. We will call you up to make sure that we have everything. If we don't, we'll either call you or send you a letter. And then hopefully within a month or two, we'll be able to come out and meet with you and at your home and to see what is needed. You said the waiting time is like a month or so, but do they themselves describe or give you an idea of what the services that they might need so that at least you maybe send the right volunteers to go out there? Or how does that work? So what happens is um, when the applications come in, uh, one, they've probably already talked to us. They've called us up on the phone. So we have some indication of what they want. Then two, we ask questions on the application what they might want. But what we have learned over the years is that what's on the applications a lot of time may not be exactly everything that they need. We look at that and we kind of divide it up into two things. And um, and I'll explain our programs in a minute, but either I'll have uh, one of our staff members and some of our key volunteers to go out and to do the assessment or um, another group will, that are our staff members. What happens is then we go out there and we, again, 
we ask you why you needed us. You called us. Why is it that you need us? And then what we do is we will look at the house from the top to the bottom, inside and outside, because um, these people are skilled at assessing the homes. And what's kind of nice about us is we're not just a contractor that comes in that's looking at one thing, right? Um, I have a, a person coming to our home because our washer's not working. That's the only thing this person's gonna look at. When we come out to your house, we're gonna look at it from top to bottom. Now, we may not be able to do everything that we see, but we're going to see things that we were aware of, and we're going to use an assessment tool to to look at that. And it, it's going to be anything from your roof, although we don't do roofs, but we're still going to look at it from the ground. Um, we're going to look at your gutters. We're going to look at um, your downspouts. We're going to look at if you have house numbers that are visible, we're gonna look at how we get into your home. Is it stable? Is the railings loose? Is there any defects in it? And we're even going to, when we press the bell, we're gonna see if it works, right? Is there a peephole you could look out of? All these little things, and they're not gonna be necessarily things that the person, the occupant's gonna look at, because quite frankly, when we live in our homes, we remember some stuff, but then we start living with things and we forget that there's an issue because we've accommodated or adapted to that situation. Just so listeners understand, because of the income level here that you're looking for, they for the repairs or the modifications that are provided, they do not need to pay for the services that uh, Rebuilding Together provides. No, there is no fee for the materials, the labors, or anything. And um, just to kind of let you know how it works is we are a nonprofit. We are small. Um, we do get some funding from local jurisdictions, from counties and the city. Um, we also get foundation grants. Um, we get money from individuals that donate to us. Um, we get faith-based and corporations that provide funding. Many times it's because they're going to be working on a project. Um, so we are trying to gather all of that. So that also makes our job a little harder because we're not always able to do everything that we see in the home that is needed because we have these uh, restrictions. But what we are going to do is to try to figure out how to help. Now, I will say... Um, although there are no fees for what we do, the people that we help a lot of times will send in a donation. They like to pay it forward. It may be like $25 and all or whatever. And we never ask um, that people do that. There is no fee. If they want to, we're happy to, to do that. And I think for some people, it just makes them feel good. I did want to focus in on what you had said a little earlier, and we're going to talk more about rebuilding together projects. And it sounds like what you're telling us is, is that in addition to the kind of services that you provide, there are certain kinds of programs as well. Yes. Tell us more about those. Back in the 70s, there was a guy in Midland, Texas named Bobby Trimble. And Bobby took his men's um, group and they decided to walk the walk instead of talk the talk. So every April, they would go out and, and make repairs to widows' homes. And this was in Texas. 
Um, people found out about this. He was honored by President Reagan. He was written up in the Reader's Digest, and it spread throughout the country. So these programs popped up all over the place. And at the time, it was called Christmas in April because the work was done in April. And one of the recipients was like, oh, this is like Christmas in April because it was a gift. So for many, many years, we were called Christmas in April. And it started out where groups from faith groups, community groups, and corporations and businesses would, every April, um, volunteer as a team. And they would, you would match them up with a home, and they would go out once a year for a day to do work. So it would be um, maybe 20 to 30 people that were work on a home. That's a lot of people. And they can do amazing things. You think of how many hands are doing what and accomplishing great things. So for many, many years, all what we call ourselves now rebuilding together, um, we would do that. And that was our thing. But throughout the years, we've we discovered that people need many other things. In 2015, we said, you know what? There are a lot of people that are calling up that don't need 30 people. There are people that live in a condo that can't <laughs> accommodate 30 people to work on it. So we started looking at the most requested things and how we could help. We looked at most of the people we help are older adults. Most of the people want to age in place. So we created what's called Rebuilding Together Express. And it's kind of, if you look at it, it's kind of like going to the grocery store and going into the express line. So we developed these, and over the years, it's it's morphed a little bit, but it's now 40 safe and healthy repairs that we look at when we go into someone's home. Now, after so many years, we do 70% of all our projects are done that way. And it's amazing because what we were doing is we were listening to the people that we were serving and they were and the people calling in and we had morphed. And what was fabulous about that, we started doing that. We use individual volunteers to do it. We we build these groups, these teams of three to five volunteers. Um, that are led by a either a staff member or led by one of 10 RT Express team leaders who have been, um, six of them have been with us since 2015. And what is kind of neat about this is when COVID hit, we no longer had those big teams. We couldn't work with those big teams because we had to isolate. We couldn't put that many people together. But what we did is we tapped into our individual skilled volunteers. We did, um, you know, we had work safety protocols and stuff. Not one outbreak of COVID during that entire time. We learned how to go into the homes and just focus on certain repairs. And so since that time, like I said, when we used to work with mainly groups, now we mainly work on RT Express or Handyman type of programs with our individual volunteers. So we have those two different things where we have RT Express. Um, sometimes it's the same people, but doing something outside of RT Express. And then we have our groups of volunteers that go out either at the end of April or sometimes throughout the year. This is some very specialized work that has to be done. Do do the persons who perform this work have the 
appropriate skills? Uh, do you train them? How, how does that work in terms of people showing up and saying, well, I want to help, uh, but I've never held a hammer in my life? I mean, how, how do you uh, work with those kinds of folks that are ready and willing to volunteer? It starts off with the assessment. We go into the homes, we assess the homes, and we develop a scope of work. Then we look at either our teams, you know, do we have a team because it's larger and they need maybe um, yard work and, you know, some people need debris removed or stuff carted away or they may need painting or they may need small handyman things, but a bigger group would fit. And we look at the skill sets of the group. If not, we look at our individual volunteers and we build teams around what is needed on that home. So um, we have this incredible woman that works with us that's been volunteering for years. When she first came to us, she didn't know how to put grab bars in. But what we do is that we we kind of take our skilled volunteers, people that understand uh, repairs and different aspects of repairs, because we have some people that um, really understand electrical repairs, some people that understand more plumbing repairs. Um, and then we have people that kind of have general handyman skill sets. So when we're building the teams, oftentimes we'll pull in people that have less skills, but they'll learn over the years how to do that. So she learned over the years how to install grab bars. And she's really good at it. And in fact, um, she she's won an award for it and as a volunteer year, uh, volunteer of the year award in Arlington County. And she has really developed those. For many years, we had hands-on training um, that people would come to us and we would train people on a whole set of things, how to replace a toilet, like put in the comfort height toilet, how to put in the dryer duct vent. I mean, most people who we get First of all, even a skilled person sometimes doesn't know it, but we train them on it, right? This is what we're looking for. This is how we do it. And it's amazing. And then people learn. And because of Rebuilding Together Express, particularly, they're doing this on a routine basis over and over again. So the the skill sets build up. Um, but we always have experienced people and then we have people that um, they're mentoring on site. So it, it's amazing how many talented people there are out there. And to that point, I was wondering if you could tell us a little bit more about the nature of volunteers. Is it all ages? Is it men more than women? In this particular area as well, we have a lot of different cultural diversity. Does that attract um, individuals from those different groups that might be willing to help, both because there might be folks that need the services as well as those that want to volunteer. So talk a little bit more about that, about the volunteers. I think it, it's it's morphed over the years and uh, changed. So with our groups of volunteers, you have more age diversity, I would say, because you have, particularly when you have a faith-based group. So um, this April, we have a bunch of faith-based groups that are going to come in and work. And a lot of times what they want to do is to expose their youth, 14 and older, to how to do things, right? 
And so they may have their parents there or adult supervision. So it may be um, on some groups, it may be 20% youth and 80% older adults, or maybe it's a 50-50. And again, we're going to only match that group with the appropriate if they have the appropriate skill sets with the house. We're not going to have somebody build a ramp that doesn't know how to build a ramp. There, There's more diversity of ages. Um, I would say with our individual volunteers, most of our projects that we do are on weekdays. And the reason why is because most of our volunteers that we have attracted in the past are older adults. They are, it is wonderful. They are retired, although I think they're busier being retired than they were working um, because they do so much in the community. Um, so we do a lot during the work week. But one Saturday a month, we will work with individual volunteers to create teams. So that is bringing in younger people to us because we need to keep um, teaching people and having, and some people have incredible skill sets that are younger. Um, I would say we need more diversity when it comes to men and women, because when it comes to our individual volunteers, I would say it's a, a lot of men. Um, we do have some women volunteers that we need more because they're incredible workers. And uh, a lot of them that we do have are very skilled. And diversity, you know, across the board, we need more of, I would say. Um, but we do have it. Um, we just need more. And so since we're on the the, the topic of volunteers, uh, if somebody's listening right now and says, I'd really like to sign up, what do I need to know? Well, let's Let's kind of walk. How would they volunteer? Is there someplace on the website? Are there requirements, time commitment? What would they need to know? There's two different pools. There is one, the individual volunteer. So um, if an individual person is interested, one, they could call us up and we can tell them about it. But two, everybody has to go to our website, rebuildingtogether-aff.org. And then it will say volunteer. In the upper right-hand corner, you'll see a tab that says volunteer. And then what they're going to do is they're going to fill out a form, online form, that kind of takes down information like who you are, what your address is, what kind of skill sets you believe you have, and what level of skill sets. When you're available, contact information, all sorts of things like that. And then we have them watch a video um, about what it is to be a volunteer, kind of um, information about safety, and then they sign a volunteer agreement. Then what happens is uh, probably a couple times a week, um, we will send out emails to all the people on that list. And those emails will say, and it's general information, it will say, on Tuesday the 5th, we're going to Arlington to work on a home. And these are the things we're going to need. We need six volunteers with these skill sets. If you're interested and have those skill sets, email us. Um, and then on Friday, we're going to be in Herndon, Virginia, and we're going to do this. And we need 10 volunteers. And these are the skill sets we need. There's contact information. And then if it works out and then it meshes, like they have the right skill sets, we still have availability, then they're given more detailed information. Prior to that, also one of our 
staff members will call them and actually have a conversation with them before the very first um, volunteer experience. And then, you know, we hear from our um, long-term volunteers about how they did and maybe what they might need. And um, we also look at personality. Look, we all have different personalities and some people fit better together than others. So that's how an individual volunteer. For groups of corporations or faith-based groups or community groups, what they need to do is either call me up, Patty Klein, at 703-528-1999 or um, email us at info at rebuildingtogether-aff.org and say, I'm interested in learning more about um, group volunteers. And just to let you know, for those groups, they do pay a partnership fee to participate because we need to pay for materials. We need to train people. They go through training. They go through um, project training, safety training, um, all sorts of things. It needs to pay for materials, um, testing for lead, dumpsters, porta potties, all sorts of things. And in those cases, sometimes they lead themselves, and we have to, and we um, work with them on that. And sometimes we lead groups as well. I wanted to make sure that we we covered uh, this aspect that I think is on your website, or maybe in a conversation that I had about rebuilding together's twenty five health and safety priorities. Is this the premise of how rebuilding together? operates in terms of what your mission and your goals are for your clients? So a while back, Rebuilding Together at the national level, and I will say our affiliate was very highly involved in that, um, worked with the National Center for Healthy Housing to develop a consistent set of metrics based upon the principles of healthy homes. So what it is are 25 different things that we believe in the home needs to be to have a safe and healthy home. Let me just give you a couple examples. Is your house, is your roof watertight? Do you have, you know, is there water coming into your home? Um, do you have a functioning toilet, sink, shower, um, bathtub? Um, do you have grab bars? Do you have functioning um, smoke and CO detectors if need be? So there are these 25 priorities that we look at. So we go into somebody's home and we do an assessment. Those 25 priorities push that assessment. They guide us in our assessment. So we look at that and then we're hoping to get pluses after we're done almost on all 25 of those priorities. And then it shows us how many improvements we've made. It's guided us in our decision making on how to make your home safer. Um, and it also gives us knowledge as to how many things we did that prevented falls, right? How many hazards were there in the homes that um, could have caused fall um, or injuries. We look at where we've done well and then where we haven't done well, right? And um, it shows, it, it's a set of metrics we can use, but again, it guides us in our assessment of those homes. 
Do you also work with other nonprofit organizations? I mean, it would seem to me there might be uh, partners that would be very interested in working together with you, maybe ones that also work with older adults or provide different kinds of services. Is there that possibility of partnerships with other groups? Absolutely. And we work with them in two different ways. The first way is definitely uh, referrals, right? Um, so we may have um, somebody from a village, um, the villages or the shepherd centers or whatever, and they have a client and that client needs additional help beyond what they can do. Um, they may recommend somebody. Um, they may, uh, it may be from the county. Um, the county, again, might have caseworkers that refer people to us. Um, and in turn, we may refer people to them. If we go into somebody's home and notice that they need transportation, we may say, hey, contact the Shepherd Center or the Villages or something like that, or contact um, the local older adults agency. So we make referrals in that way. And that's for things that we don't do that is similar. Another way is to nonprofits that are similar to us. So there is in Fairfax County, they have something called Home Repair for the Elderly. So they go, they have three people on staff that go out to people's homes to make some repairs. So if we think for every person that calls in, I'll say, hey, call them, apply to both of us, and hopefully one of us will help you. And sometimes we layer things with them. In this Commonwealth of Virginia, there's something called Community Housing Partners, CHP, and they do a weatherization program. So we often refer people there that may need, they may have an inefficient furnace, uh, they may need insulation in their homes. So we'll refer people there, and sometimes we work together. In fact, we just, um, for a younger person and her daughter, they had not been in their home for two years. Um, for a slew of reasons, but we went in and did t we spent 500 hours working on the home, and then we called in community housing partners, and they came in and gave her a new furnace. They insulated her attic, and um, they did some caulking or something around the windows and stuff. So together, we were able to do all this work to get her and her daughter back in her home after two years. So great partnerships there. We also work with other nonprofits, and we will go in and work on their homes or their properties. So there may be something um, like there are a lot of nonprofits in this area that have group homes for people uh, with intellectual disabilities or people with physical disabilities, or people in transitional housing. We will go in and bring our volunteers and do a lot of um, different things. Sometimes it's just freshening up the place by painting it and doing yard cleanup. Other times it may be that they need a shed built or they need a steps done or something like that. So we will go and work with nonprofits. Um, last year, and most of them are housing, but we will also go and do other things. So last year, there is a group that collects glasses and they send, they fix them and they send them off to different countries. And we went in and they had just moved into a place 
and needed tons of work in there. So we brought our volunteers in there to help them so their nonprofit could function. Um, so lots of different ways that we work with nonprofits. Well, and I'm also thinking on the other side of the for-profit uh, arena that there are skilled trade opportunities. And I was just wondering whether there has been partnerships with companies, for example, who have the types of uh, products that are needed as you all go into uh, to homes. Has there been an established relationship with those groups as well? And, and how do you determine who you're going to work with in that, in that regard? Sure. So we, a um, couple different ways. So we do work um, and um, we don't have huge amount of funding for contractors. We're hoping to get more um, because that really is a gap in our services. Um, but when we do work with contractors, we have um, this, you know, we look at their insurance. We have this uh, contract and stuff. And many of them, what they will do is we might pay for one thing and they might donate 50% off the next one, or they might do something at cost or something, or sometimes for free. So sometimes we have an established relationship with a plumber, electrician, a roofer, and, um, and that happens. It's beneficial all the way around. Other times we work like with a group that is an association and their association are all contractors. So they will come and they will work on um, houses, a couple of houses for us um, each year and just do whatever they do. You know, they have all these great skill sets. So you, you'll have an electrician and a plumber and you'll have landscaper, professional landscapers and you'll have carpenters um, from this um, association, and they all come in and they do it at no cost. So th there's different ways um, that people do that. And one thing that I was wondering, too, both in terms of the volunteers, given the fact that these services are specialized uh, and they have to have some skill sets. So I'm wondering what, how you handle if there might be a problem, things you know, the volunteer didn't quite do what he or she was supposed to, and the repairs and modifications didn't um, work out as well, or how do you handle that? Plus, I was also wondering, too, in terms of the volunteer, what happens if they get injured while they're doing uh, the work for your organization? So talk about the volunteers and their services, as well as problems with the repairs and modifications. We want to hear if there's an issue. Look, because we're doing it no cost doesn't mean it shouldn't work and that you take it as it is. What we want people to do if there's an issue, we want to come and fix it. That's why we were there in the first place. So, and I think sometimes I, I have had people not call us and um, because a plumber forgot to turn on the water for five days, it's like, no, 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 you need to call us. And we're going to go in and see if, if it's fixable. Sometimes there are things that um, may not be fixable because they were broken to begin with, right? So maybe we go in and there is a, I don't know, a plumbing issue. And it's far beyond our scope. And we'll see and say, you know, it's broken to begin with. We're going to try and see if we can fix it. 
If not, you may just need to get a, a plumber. But most of the time, if there's an issue, we're going to go back and we're going to fix it. They're going to say, um, like the stair lifts, hey, the battery's low or or something triggered. It's not moving, you know, because electrical, I don't know, something happened. We'll go back and we'll tinker with it and make sure that it's right. We're always going to do what's best for the homeowner if it's within our means. Um, for our volunteers, we have safety training. My number one rule is I'd rather not fix a house than anybody get hurt. <laughs> it is our number one priority is safety. Safety of our homeowners, safety of our people doing the work, and safety of the home, right? Making sure we cause no harm. And so we put people through safety training on most projects that have, um, if they have people less than, I think it's less than six people, the team leader is the safety person is always looking out. Um, and then if it's more than that, then we have a dedicated person um, that we've trained on safety things. So we look at putting ladders up, how ladders need to go up. If somebody's holding on the ladder, we have certain rules. You cannot go above a certain height on a ladder. Um, if you haven't used that tool, we don't want you to use that tool unless there's somebody that is a mentor there with you and is training you. Um, you you know, a lot of times we want people to use their own tools because they're very familiar with them, particularly if you're cutting and stuff like that. Um, we want people to always wear goggles and um, earplugs and things like that if, the, if they're cutting or around flying objects. Um, so, you know, we really, really, really want people to, to be safe. Um, and, you know, and God forbid if anything were to happen, we're there. And, um, you know, and, and we have protocols of what to do. And you're trying to be proactive rather than reactive. Absolutely. Absolutely. We're always looking out for if something could cause an issue. So we're just about out of time. I just wanted to find out, um, we'll, we'll ask you about, you know, any resources that folks uh, learn. But I was wondering also, are there any community projects that you're working on right now that you wanted to talk about uh, uh, just to let our listeners know and maybe even maybe beyond uh, this area as well, you know, examples of community projects that are done by other uh, affiliates around the country? Sure. I mean, it, it every year is different. Every time is different when we um, do um, different community projects. But in the past, we've worked on parks. We've worked on shelters. Um, we've worked on USOs. Um, we've also done stuff um, with a uh, group that goes into school settings and um, uh, makes the environment the environment like they're teaching kids um, it, about nature and things like that. So we've done and built community gardens. We've built um, outside school classrooms for kids to learn in. So that's what we've done. Across the nation, they do tons of different uh, community projects. 
Uh, for instance, in a urban area like Baltimore, they'll work in a certain community for several years, and they'll go there and maybe work on their park or work on a community center and stuff like that. It it just depends. Um, they're lo- we're looking at not only working on houses, but how to better our community um, and how to help each other out. Um, make it a, a good environment for everybody all the way around. Well, that's that's always important uh, for listeners to know that it's beyond homes, that it's other kinds of uh, uh, activities in the uh, the community as well. So last question, tell us again how uh, folks can learn about Rebuilding Together and any other resource that you would like us to know? Oh, so um, if you are throughout the country, uh, I would suggest that you go to rebuildingtogether.org, read about Rebuilding Together across the nation, uh, read about our different affiliates. If you're looking for assistance or you want to volunteer, go to the tab that says locate an affiliate and go to the state that you're in to see if there is an affiliate nearby. I would also say that even if there is not a rebuilding together in your community, there may be another program out there that might do something similar to us. Uh, For instance, and we're not in Prince William County in Virginia, there is a program called Project Menda House. They do wonderful work. They use volunteers um, and they're just different. So if you're looking to volunteer or get help, I call the whatever is closest to you and see if they know or call your local housing agency or older adults division and they may know of services out there locally if people are interested um, either call us at 703-528-1999 go to our website rebuildingtogether-aff.org to learn about us And I just wanted to close in saying that, you know, this is such a neat thing. I've been doing this for a long, long time, and it never ceases to amaze me how many incredible people you meet out there. Our volunteers are amazing. We have ambassadors that volunteer with us, neurologists, contractors, People who have never learned things. I mean, it's like you go to a site and you don't know what these people have done in their past, but they have amazing skills. On the other hand, the people we work with and we work on their homes, their stories are incredible. Um, I have learned so much um, from them. And so I just want to say it's incredible. And at the end, of the day, the impact is terrific. And everybody is happy at the end of the day. Well said. And to that point then, I want to thank Patty Klein, Executive Director of Rebuilding Together, Arlington, Fairfax, Falls Church. Thank you so much for joining me today, Patty. Thank you, Cheryl. To learn more about Aging Matters, you can visit our website at agingmattersonline.com. And of course, At that site, you can access all of the Aging Matters radio programs, the TV show episodes, and of course, also go on there to get the uh, podcasts on Apple and Spotify. Those links are also on the website. 
Aging Matters is produced in association with Steve Lack Audio. And of course, to learn more about that company, you can visit steveflackaudio.com. Thank you for listening to Aging Matters today. And remember, age is just a number, not a label. I'll be back again with you next week.